All right, this morning, as we begin, I want to share with you this week just one of the pressing thoughts that the Lord has continually put on my mind is that they, we live in a world where, where people are grasping and, and grabbing at anything to give them hope, anything that will help them have a better day or to get through the day, and many just trying to find whatever it is that can help them through that. I was reminded of that often this week and um, reminded of it one day this week as I was sitting in Starbucks. I was waiting for a meeting that I was going to and I was doing some study there uh, and uh, went up to the little uh, coffee bar area where they uh, have the creamer and sugar and all that kind of stuff and, and up up there they had a bulletin board and I, and I saw this poster um, that I want to show you. It's, it's on the screen. I think it's going to come up. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Buddha on treadmill. All right. Um, I stood there and I, I laughed, and then my laughter turned to um, just a burdened heart as I read uh, this, this flyer that was there on, on the bulletin board. Um, and it, it, it's a lady who's, who's around, she's going to be around town, and she's going to be speaking uh, this conference about, uh, obviously, Buddhism and, and uh, you know, peace and, and rest and all this kind of stuff that can be found, evidently, uh, through this means. And um, and, and I found her c- credentials, where she speaks at, and where she's imparting this kind of knowledge to. And, and she has a platform with the World Bank, with uh, UN, uh, all these high-profile groups in our world. And, and I just started thinking of how many people today are searching and seeking and grasping and grabbing at anything and everything. Um, on different levels, from the high executives of the world all the way down to, to where we are in, in our day, people are just seeking. And many times, obviously, looking in the wrong places, just like this poster entails for us. And it leaves our hearts, I pray, burdened this morning as we live truly in a dark world. And that was the condition of the city that Paul was in of the city of Ephesus. It was a dark, dark city. Uh, And Paul came to the city to mount an assault on darkness. The city was deep in darkness. It was deep in immorality in both mind and body. And he came and brought the light of the world, the hope of the world, by bringing the gospel. And as we're going to see today, it prevailed upon the city. It, It will change lives. And so this morning, what I want us to see is Paul's assault on the darkness and how you and I can be a part of the same thing, even in our city, and how also the darkness, as we're going to see today, is is literally kind of thrown into confusion in the most interesting of ways, and then ultimately how the darkness is overcome, and how you and I can experience the same and model and even imitate Paul in what he did in Ephesus in our own city. And so as we begin today, this assault on darkness, it begins in the synagogue, just as it commonly did for Paul. Look at verse 8 of chapter 19, as Amy just read for us, if you would follow along with us there um, in the Bible, uh, there in Acts 19. Acts is found right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there in the New Testament. But in Acts 19, verse 8, it says, he entered the synagogue, Paul did, he continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them, the hearers there in the synagogue, about the kingdom of God. 
So Paul goes into his common place that he would go to as he entered into a city. He would first go to the Jews and he'd go to a synagogue that was found there. And he's there in Ephesus for three months in the synagogue teaching, dialoguing, opening up information, knowledge about what? The kingdom of God. And what was Paul speaking about? Ultimately, he was speaking to the Jews that Jesus was truly the Messiah. The one who has been promised throughout the pages of the Old Testament has come, and he is the Messiah. He is the hope of the world. He is the Savior of the world. He talked about his death. No doubt he talked about his resurrection. He talked about probably his ascension, that he now reigns as king over all of heaven and earth as he sits at the right hand of God in all authority, sovereign, Overall, that's who Jesus is, and that's who Paul shared with the Jews about. Jesus, his name, his power. So Paul's assault begins in Ephesus, in the synagogue with the religious. But look at how they respond in verse 9 through 10. When some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way. The way uh, back then was, was literally Christianity. It was the way. Uh, And so they were speaking evil of the way before the people. He withdrew from them, the synagogue, and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so as Paul is speaking in the synagogue about the kingdom of God, the Jews opposed Paul. Greatly in opposition about what he was teaching and discussing with them, their hearts were hardened. They didn't want to obey God by turning to Christ, and so they blasted Christianity. And so he took the disciples, and he went away. But what we see right here is just a small picture of the darkness in Ephesus, the darkness in the hearts of people. And specifically in Ephesus, Ephesus was a place of political power. It was a place of religious power. In fact, religion in Ephesus was really more about business. You would peddle religion for a buck. It was a place of magical power. Many were involved in the occult. Uh, Many were involved in superstition. Many were involved in the worship of the goddess Artemis or Diana, the goddess of fertility. It was known uh, the city that guarded the temple uh, of Artemis. And so definitely a, a dark city. And I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul saw the city of Ephesus and the hearts of the people there, but also what that means for really the heart of mankind. Uh, Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. This is what Paul told the church in Ephesus about the condition they were in and really all of mankind is in before the gospel lands on their heart. Ephesians 2 tells us, "'You were dead in your trespasses and sins.'" in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. The condition of Ephesus and the people there, but really the condition of mankind. Dead, spiritually dead. We might be breathing, might be cut, maybe we can run a half marathon, but spiritually good as dead. In what? In the lust of the flesh. 
living according to the ways of the world. Ultimately, the ways of the world is the way of the enemy. Children of wrath. That was the condition of those in Ephesus and the condition of many in our city. Paul says this, therefore, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. And he says that in Ephesians 6.12. And what does he say about this battle we're in? He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, the enemy hates us. He wants us good as dead spiritually. He doesn't want us to have abundant life. He doesn't want us to have everlasting life. He does not want us to know God. He does not want us, if we're in here today, if we know Christ, to live out the Christian way. He wants us to stumble. He wants us to fall. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. And so are his cohorts, his fellow workers, the demons of darkness, of the spiritual world. And so our battle is against the darkness, the enemy himself. And so the people were living according to the ways of the enemy, deep in darkness. They were blinded to the gospel. And so as Paul is speaking the gospel in the synagogues, he's talking about Jesus. They're blinded to it. They're blinded. And that's what 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, 3 through 4. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says this, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? Perishing, spiritually dying. Their destiny without the gospel coming in and changing their life is hell. They're perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They're incapable of seeing the glory of Christ because they're so blinded. That was the reality of Ephesus. That's where Paul is. It's the reality of our city, our world. It continues to get darker. People incapable of a heart change. And so Paul is mounting his assault on darkness. He goes from the synagogue, but where does he go next? As he leaves, he goes to a place called the school of Tyrannus. Tyrannus was most likely a lecture hall, an auditorium in the city. Commonly, these would be found like in a marketplace. And so this place was owned by a gentleman by the name of Tyrant. And he would rent this out. Now, how many of us are going to name our kiddos Tyrant? All right? My word. But that's what somebody did in Ephesus. And so Tyrannus was this place where Paul went. He, he rented out this lecture hall. Now, what's interesting in Ephesus is their day looked like this. They would go to work at 7 a.m. in the morning. Okay? They would work till 11 a.m. And then at 11 a.m. till 4 p.m., they would have siesta time. All right? I'm not talking about South of the border, right? Some of you guys are thinking, wait, wait, that's not Ephesus. Yeah, Ephesus. So Ephesus would do that from 11 to 4. And so like they would have their big lunch with like chips and hot sauce and loaded down beans and Mexican food. And then about, you know, about 1230 after they ate, they'd be like, it's nap time, right? It's not, how many of us are like, I mean, that's what, I'd love to see us the time. That'd be great. That's what I hope today looks like that, all right? Some of us are like right there. But this was every day. And then at, at 4, Guys, don't, don't, don't like think this is something we need to adopt, all right? This is crazy. So, so from 4 to 9.30, they would go back to work, okay? 
And so what the Apostle Paul would do, and this is in historical writings, uh, some associated with the book of Acts. They're not canonized, and so they're not, we can't say they're biblical accounts. They're extra-biblical accounts that were written, historical papers. And they would tell us that what Paul would do is Paul would would work his trade from 7 to 11. So he was a tent maker. He would... uh, uh, repair tents. He would do leather making. And so he had a headband on, literally a handkerchief around his head because he would sweat. And then he had an apron on as he was do his work. And then from 11 to 4, he would go into the lecture hall of Tyrannus and he would teach and he would disciple uh, disciples of Christ. And that's what he did for two years, six days a week. And then from 4 to 9.30, he would go back to tent making. Now, why Paul adopted that was he, he, he uh, adapted to his culture. And, and he made sure that he, it wasn't seen that the gospel was something he was peddling for a dime. But that he would work, and then from 11 to 4, he would go and impart the kingdom of God, the gospel, to those who would come into the lecture hall. And it says at the end of verse uh, 10 that all who lived in Asia... So in in, in that little area that he was in, in Ephesus and in surrounding areas, all who lived there heard the word of the Lord. Amazing. Amazing. And so that's what Paul did. He mounted his assault. He worked hard in his ministry because he longed for the light of the gospel to break through the darkness of Ephesus. And so his assault was on, and he exhausted himself literally with the hope of seeing life's change. And God used him. God used him as many there heard the gospel. And so Paul was teaching. He was discussing the kingdom of God. And the strong power of Jesus was on display. Look at verse 11 through 12. Listen to what he says here. It says, Luke says about what was happening. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out of them. And so the power of Jesus is demonstrated here in Ephesus through these healings by people being released from these evil spirits that had a hold on their life. And so while Paul was working, he would wear these handkerchiefs, these aprons, and they would go to him and they would take him to the sick and to those who were demon-possessed. And these healings would take place. These miraculous experiences would take place. But this is not the normative. Like we said last week, when Paul went and laid his hands on those people and the Holy Spirit then came into them. That was not the normative of how the Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes when those who trust in Christ. Same thing here. Healings happen, you betcha. But it doesn't mean the normative is as we get a little rag or a little headband, a little apron, and all of a sudden we just say, God bless this, and it becomes some kind of a work of, of power. That's not the idea here. But the idea is that God chose to work here, right here, through these means to show his power to the Ephesians, to convince unbelievers, those who are weak in the faith, of the reality of God's power, and that he was at work in Paul's ministry. This was a blessing to Paul. This was an encouragement to Paul. But ultimately, it changed lives. And so I want to pause for a second so we think about this, this assault on the darkness. What do we see here? We see the power of God at work through a man who is obedient to the call that God had on his life to go and to make disciples of every little nook and cranny he was at. And God opened up doors from the synagogue to this little auditorium, this little, this little lecture hall. And in a two-year span, the whole area hears 
the gospel. God has called us to serve our city. God has called us to serve our community. God has called us to serve in the church. We look at Paul's model, his example here. He's he's exhausted himself with serving. Today, we live in a place where we are too comfortable. We like our stuff. We like our entertainment. We will exhaust ourselves many times of trying to live and to have comfort. Paul didn't exhaust himself in his work for that. Paul exhausted himself for the gospel. He exhausted himself in serving Christ in his city. Church, I pray that we would be a place that at the end of the day, we've given all that we can to serve in the church, to serve the body here. To not be a people that are just prone to every other week type people. Our numbers show us recently that a 30, 30 to 45% of our members here, that's their attendance monthly. That's not good. That's not good. And, and so I share that because what I think happens a lot of times, we get exhausted with the wrong things. We get exhausted with the wrong things, and so church becomes an add-on, and, 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 and the, the gathering of the saints become this add-on to where it just becomes another thing on the calendar, and, and therefore it's another thing that can easily be moved. And, and so, so we look at the Apostle Paul, and we see this guy who's committed, but then we say, well, he's an apostle. He's got a certain kind of role. We have roles. All of us in here are neighbors. All of us in here are moms. Not all of us, maybe, but some of us are moms. Some of us are dads. Excuse me, some of y'all over here to my right. Uh, <laughs> as I looked at y'all. This, we're businessmen. We're businesswomen. And there are lecture halls all over this city that God has given us. And it may not look like it did with the Apostle Paul. But we have people that God has given us to hold out the truth of the gospel to. They're all around. He just wants people that are willing to share, willing to observe, willing to be just aware. I think that's what walking by the Spirit is in in many ways, is just being spiritually aware that there are people around you that need to hear the gospel, and there are conversations all the time that could easily turn to the gospel if we would just be willing to walk through that door and be aware of that. Ah, I've been convicted of that. And so... The assault on the darkness that Paul shows us that he did in Ephesus, it can happen here. It can happen here. And so look at the next part here. Darkness is thrown in confusion, most definitely. And look what happens here in verse 13 through 14. Um, some, some guys think they can ride the wave of the Apostle Paul. And, and Christianity is not just some wave to ride, right? It's not just some high mountaintop experience and think you can get a little bit of Jesus and, and throw him around and think, oh, this, this, you know, like some kind of magical thing. But that's what people in Ephesus did. Look what happens in verse 13. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus who Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Skepha, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Now, Interesting, the seven sons of one, Skeva, that's the guy's name. He's a Jewish high priest. Um, 
pages show, history shows that he wasn't a Jewish high priest. So, so who is he? Why, why was he given this title by Luke? Okay? What there was, was there was this little group, this little sect, you would call them, of Jews. And so this guy was kind of like the leader. He'd be called a, a high priest in his little group. So he wasn't the Jewish high priest, but he was a Jewish high priest in the sense of this little group. And what this little group was is they followed Judaism. They followed Judaism, but what they did is they had this little mixed bag of magical beliefs and, and things and rituals that they would do. Uh, and so these, these guys right here uh, start going to these people that had evil spirits uh, possessing them and using the name of Jesus just as Paul did. And they're like, hey, if Paul can do this, we can do this. And so they kind of threw the name of Jesus out. It's kind of like this, this trick, this little magical game that, that, hey, maybe we can do what Paul did. But look what happens. They were in a very rude awakening here. Look at verse 15. The evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus. I know Paul, but who are you? Wow. So that led me to ask. I was reading that this week several times. I just kept asking, I wonder if the, the demons know me. I pray, I pray they do. I pray they know us in here. They know Jesus. Why do they know Jesus? Well, they know Jesus because they used to worship Jesus, right? Jesus made them. They're angels that have fallen. They know Paul because Paul, man filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And the Bible tells us in Luke 10, 17 that demons are subject to Jesus. And so they know Jesus. They know Paul, but they don't know these magical men, I would call them. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. So, so the seven sons here and the people trying to call out the evil one by using the name of Jesus here, subdued all them, overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This is why we teach expositionally. We've got to get verses like these, right? I mean, this is awesome. This is cool. This is, I mean, this, this is awesome. This is a scene, right? The consequences of playing with religion and, and, and darkness in this sense falls on these men in the most astounding of ways where they're overtaken, literally losing their lives is what one commentator says. And they barely get out with their lives. Um, these men truly did not know the power of God, obviously. And the enemy, the demons, did not know them. You say, what did they want? They wanted popularity like Paul had. They wanted to ride his coattails in his, his wave. They wanted probably to make a gain or a buck as well. We've seen this many times in our world as many have sought to do the same. American TV uh, evangelists who will sell handkerchiefs, right? To say that these things are blessed. I mean, you can go on um, line and, and find these things, right? And you can buy a handkerchief for $19.99, right? Maybe a few installments, I don't know. Um, I had an incident recently, I, a, a dear brother in our congregation, his, his grandmother's been, been sick with cancer, and um, he asked if I could call her, it was about over a month ago, and I called her, and 92-year-old Cajun woman down in Louisiana, sweet, sweet lady, and 
she says, I said, this, this is Pastor Jerry. I'm, I'm your grandson's pastor. And she, she goes, I'm so glad you called. And I said, well, I, I didn't mean to call, and I'm glad I did too. She goes, no. She goes, because this morning, she says, somebody called me, and I thought it was you. And I said, really? She goes, yeah. And they asked if they could pray for me, and that them and their prayer team would pray for me every day for $19.99 a month. I said, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. This isn't like the 70s or 80s or 90s. This is like today. This is like present. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And she said, no. And she said, for a second, I thought, surely this is not my grandson's pastor. <laughs> I said, I'm glad I called. I'm glad I called. I'm glad I called. And we talked about the gospel. She is, is deaf. She's deep in Catholicism and, and so we're talking the gospel with her, praying for her, but I said, let, let me do assure you that the gospel is not something to be peddled like those men who called you this morning, but that there's true power in, in the name of Christ, not in what they were selling. And, um, but many will, will still attempt to do that today, and this isn't something, this is not a game. It's not a game, and Paul knew it. That's why when he came, he came in the name of the one who lived inside of him who is greater than any other power in the world. And that's the name of Jesus. And that's the power that he came in. And so we see the effects of it. Look at verse 17. It says, this became known. So this incident of these magical Jewish men running out of the house, bleeding, no clothes on, it becomes known to all. Jews and Greeks both who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And so news spread and the fear of God fell upon people and as a result, Jesus' name is being exalted, being praised in lives where it wasn't being exalted before. And his name is being made known through this city. And then look what happens in 18 and 19. Many also of those who had believed, they kept coming. They came confessing, disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the power of God healed people. We saw that. It brings out demons out of people we've seen that but the ultimate work of God is what it's the changing of one's heart and it happens here in the city as many believed first John chapter 5 verse 4 tells us this sweet little verse it says for whatever is born of God overcomes the world so whoever is born again comes to Christ as Lord and Savior it says this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith and our faith is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's faith in the Son of God. It's the faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the one who died for us, rose again for us, and that he is king of the kingdom of God, and he's coming back one day. And until then, he reigns over heaven and earth. And we believe that. That's the faith that overcomes the world, and that's the faith that sets free so many people in Ephesus from the enemy's control they are set free. And their faith led to confessing, confessing their sins, 
opening up about their evil practices that they were involved in. Those involved in magic brought their magic books and burned them in the presence of others. You don't think this is a big deal. This is a big deal. 50,000 pieces of silver. Silver, one piece of silver was a day's wage. That's a day's wage. So think about this. 50,000 work days of money bought those books. 8,300 work weeks bought those books. Back then, it was $10,000 in U.S. dollars. That was back then. Today, it would be probably, I did some calculations, about maybe $12 million, give or take some millions. But we're talking about millions. What is this? This is This is repentance. This is repentance. They confess, they open up to the Lord with others there. They bring these things that they're dabbling in that they know is wrong. And they're even willing to burn them and get rid of them. They repent. They turn from the things that they're grasping for. They're looking just, just for a quick fix from. Things they're, they're hoping will, will give them peace. And at the end of the day, nothing works. And then they come face to face with Jesus. And they realize that he gives peace. He gives peace to the heart. He brings forgiveness of sins that we all need. He gives us life. Their life has changed. And look lastly at verse 20. It says, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So the word of God grew and was strong in accordance with the power of the Lord in the city. Lives were being changed as the gospel was overcoming the darkness in Ephesus. The gospel is the only escape, the only escape from darkness. And many in Ephesus found that to be true. We know people. They need a great escape. They need a rescue. Just like these people and Ephesus do. And guess what? We have the only prevailing power. It's the gospel. As we leave today, I, I just want to leave you with these, these three quick thoughts, okay? First is this. You and I must recognize we're in a spiritual battle daily. Daily. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 to literally put on the armor of God so that we will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then in Ephesians 6, 13 through 20, you can read it there. You can maybe write it down and read it later. It's the armor of God. Every day we wake up and we're ready to mount an attack on darkness. Ready with the word of God. Ready praying. Ready to go into to places where it's the workplace. Whatever it is. And we're ready, guys. We're ready. Because this is serious business. And then second, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. You and I, each of us in here, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you're part of a royal priesthood. And so you know what that means? We get the great joy of interceding on behalf of others. We get the great joy of, of being intercessors for people that don't know the gospel. And we get to pray for them by name and bring the name of the one we're praying for, the, the three, whoever we're praying for, we get to bring them before the Lord. And pray for them. Because guess what guys? That's the only thing that can change people's lives. is the power of God. And that's what we're praying for. We're praying that the power of God, just as it says in Acts 26 verse 18, that the power of God would open the eyes 
of those who don't know him. And they would turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we're praying for and we're hoping for. We're praying that God would do beyond any measure what we could ever imagine or even hope for, that he would do a great work because of the power that even works in us, in you. Believe that. And then lastly, the word of God. Our world needs the prevailing word of God. Ephesus needed it. Carrollton needs it. The colony needs it. Plano, Louisville, Flower Mound, wherever you find yourself, whether it's in a high-rise in Dallas during the week, place in Las Colinas, wherever you work, in a school right behind me here, or wherever, it needs the prevailing word of God. That's how God changes lives. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, the word of the cross, but to those who are saved, it's the power of God. And that's what our world needs. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't know the beautiful message of the cross and it hasn't impacted your life yet to where you've turned and trusted in Christ, let me just encourage you today. There are many things you can grab for and grasp Many things. But there's only one truth. It's the truth of Jesus. The truth of the gospel. You've heard it today. There's only one way. It's through Christ. There's no other way. It's not about multiple ways. It's not like a a grab bag and at the end of the day everything ends up at the same place. It's a bunch of falsehood. And there's only one true life, and that's the life of Jesus Christ. And he offers true life, eternal life to you. So today, if you've never trusted in Christ, turn to him. Take the model of these today. Confess your sin to him. And be willing to turn from whatever you're grasping and holding on to for hope and peace and life. And turn to the only one who can give you that. And that's Christ. Let me pray.